Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Listen with Cheryl McKay. Thanks so much to everyone who's taken the time to write, to send a note to hello at CherylMcKay.com with suggestions for guests for the show, all kinds of other things. It's always so great to hear from you, so keep them coming. I'm going to talk food in this episode of the podcast, and my guest is someone who does that so well. I'm talking about Deb Perlman, the author of Smitten Kitchen, the blog, and three, now three cookbooks. Deb Perlman started her cooking blog in her tiny apartment kitchen in New York City, and that's exactly where she continues to cook today. And over the years, she's gained about, oh, a million and so followers on Instagram, and she's one of the go-to people when you're looking for a recipe online or in one of her cookbooks. I've had the chance to talk to Deb Perlman a couple of times for each of her previous cookbooks. And when she was in Vancouver recently touring with the latest one, I was so happy to have a chance to catch up with her again. First of all, Deb, I'll say it is so good to see you again. And this new book is, it's a keeper. It's a stunner. Thank you. I'm glad you agree. (laughs) (laughs) For people who haven't had a chance to see it yet, what are keepers? How do you define those? Keepers are supposed to be the last recipe you'll ever want for whatever it is. So it's a very high bar, but it it was the goal. Now, isn't that sort of self-defeating for a cookbook author to have the last <laughs> recipes you'll ever need? No, because I have so many things I haven't cooked yet. Oh. So many things I haven't perfected yet. So keepers too. Yeah, perhaps keepers too. I mean, truly, it's what I've been trying to do with the site and the first two books forever. But for this, I really just wanted to exclusively only have, you know, just the, the core recipes in my arsenal that I want everybody to have. What do you mean it's what you've been trying to do with the site and the books all this time? Your, your secret mission? <laughs> I've always just, when I started the site, it was because I wanted a collection. I wanted to build my repertoire of like, I wanted my go-to lemon cake and my go-to meatballs. And I've been always looking for that. And I have other versions. It's not like I've never published a meatball before. But over the years, my, as my cooking skills have evolved and what I understand about food and what I understand about what I'm willing to do in the kitchen, what other people are willing to do in the kitchen, these recipes evolve and I think become a lot more usable. How did your dad inspire this third book? Oh, he nagged me. <laughs> <laughs> he nagged me a lot. He really wanted me to write a third book. That was really it. He just kept saying, and that third book, I'm like, am I not working on a third book, dad? He's like, but you need to do a three book deal. I'm like, dad, I don't have a three book deal. It didn't matter. He wanted a third book. I mean, I guess ultimately I couldn't say no. I've yeah. said no to everything else, yeah. So, <laughs> so this one yeah, gets exactly. He gets, the, he gets this. <laughs> when I was reading the introduction to this book, you made a little passing reference to working in a nursing home. And I don't know that I've ever heard about that part of your life. <laughs> it's a long story. So after college, I was working as an art therapist. I had a master's degree and um I that was what I could do with it. So I ended up working in the nursing home for a few years. I actually loved it. I love working with old people. I might technically be an old person now, but um, actually, nursing home sounds kind of nice. Like, you know, like there's songs, there's a piano, <laughs> there's an art room. <laughs> I, can I go? Um, but I actually, I loved working with old. I loved getting that outlook on life. I loved the perspective. I loved the way they'd speak and they talk with their memories. It was not ultimately the right career for me. I don't think I liked the work, but I liked hanging out with those people. <laughs> what was it that? That drew you to art therapy? Well, more of a lack of, a, really a lack of clarity about what I wanted to do with my life. So I had a psychology degree, I had a fine arts minor, and I didn't really 
know what I was going to do when this five-year program appeared where I could get a master's in something called art therapy, which merged the two things, or so I thought it did. I went for it, then I got a job with this degree, and then I was like, I don't, this is not what I, I don't think this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but then what do you do? I felt so pigeonholed. I felt like I picked something so interesting. My whole life is over, and I'm 24. I have no idea what I'm going to do. It was not easy. And were you always cooking? Was that always happening uh, when you got home? No, I wasn't always cooking. I always liked cooking, but I didn't really start cooking with more enthusiasm until I met my husband and we just didn't want to go out every night. And it really became, I always wanted to cook, but I didn't want to do all the shopping and all of the cooking and all of the dishes and then be stuck with, oh my God, like a year of leftovers because you decided (laughs) to make one thing. So although I would cook, it wasn't as enthusiastic as it was when I had a receptive audience and very cute dishwasher. (laughs) (laughs) The first time, the first time we met, Mm -hmm. it was when you were doing the tour for the first book. And I remember you saying, there you were, blogging away in your kitchen in Mm -hmm. New York, and suddenly realized that so many people were following you, and so many people were tuning in. And then you were coming out to these events. And I remember the one at Barbara Jo's Books to Cooks. People were outside, they were peering Mm -hmm. in the windows. And I just remember your kind of feeling of awe about the the whole experience. It hasn't changed. I'm still like, I cannot believe that there's this many people in a room and they want to hear me tell these horrible jokes. And they're so polite when they laugh. Like, I don't, I still, I can't wrap my head around it. And I'm like, maybe I just won't. Maybe I won't wrap my head around it. Oh, I just, because I was just thinking, what an extraordinary thing to, to suddenly have happen in a way. Yeah, to be yammering into your laptop about your feelings on pasta shapes and then suddenly there's a room full of people. It is bizarre. It feels exactly like that. <laughs> Ask me my feelings about Bucatini. <laughs> Robert's cracking up over there. Sorry. <laughs> you already had to listen to my missive last night. Sorry. <laughs> so tell us. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. I think we've been misled by Bucatini PR. <laughs> You know, I don't even know what bucatini oh, is. Oh, it's so. sort of, it's this thick spaghetti. It looks really cute and it has like a tiny hollow in it. And they try to tell you that it fills with sauce. It does not. <laughs> and it's also too thick to wrap around a fork. It always just kind of flings out and flings sauce at you, which is really undignified. So um, it's just a thing. It's just a small <laughs> petty grievance that I often air on the internet just for, you know, giggles. And then all of a sudden there's a room full of people who are like, do you have any more of those? I'm like, Really? it's not that interesting but it's very sweet I'd love to talk about some of the recipes in fact as I was as I was thinking about what to talk about I was flipping through and I would go oh this one oh oh and this one for sure and this one so I've got a great long list and the first one is into the breakfast section and I don't know how to say it can you guess it's Bialy Babka? Bialy Babka, you said it exactly right. So, um, a Bialy is a, it's from Bialy Stoker, Poland, but there's versions of it from many parts of that part of the world. And it's basically just a bread with a little indentation, and there's some bits of onion and poppy seed in it. And it's a delicious little breakfast dish. And a babka is usually a sweetened, twisty bread filled with things. They're usually chocolate or cinnamon, they're usually something sweet. But I, this was probably in the early parts of, you know, March, April, 2020. (laughs) And I'm like, what is something fun and ambitious and delicious we can make with the very few ingredients we have at home? What's cool about it is a very short ingredient list. Aside from the dough, you're really just cooking onions. Um, And so instead of filling it with ribbons of chocolate, we fill it with ribbons of minced up caramelized onions. And it is 
gorgeous it smells so good and you can cut this loaf into slices you can spread it with butter which is my favorite you can do it like you might do it with like a bagel you could put like cream cheese and lox and that kind of stuff on it you can bring it to a brunch it's so nice to have some savory breakfast goods mm -hmm. um and special I love that about this book, how some things are a complete twist like this, and others are really just, like you say, the best molasses spice cookies, Thank for you. example. And you talk in the book about testing the, you, how many batches of these cookies that you made. Can you tell a bit about that whole experience, just testing those ones? The molasses spice cookie was the most unhinged testing, but it basically, <laughs> it's December 2020, and it's not a good year. We're not having holiday parties. We're not having Christmas and holidays with our families. It's kind of a bummer, and I said, you know what? If I get nothing else this winter, I'm going to perfect my molasses spice cookie. I am going to get this one cookie that I've always wanted. I had a very clear vision for what I wanted, which was a tall pillow of a cookie that wasn't cakey, but had a nice round to it and I wanted it to look like a pillow and I wanted to have like really deeply spiced and perfectly flavored and I wanted it to work every time it shouldn't need like a 48 hour rest in the fridge and I just started making them over and over again and I don't always do that with recipes just keep working on but it turns out that when you have extra molasses spice cookies Okay, so I have a balcony terrace outside my apartment, and I'm not at a particular, I'm actually at a pretty low floor, so friends would come by, and I would just toss them down to them in a bag. I would just toss them down, and was, yeah, everyone's wearing masks, and it's like we're just leaning out over the balcony, and I would just, it was so fun to hand them out, and so I just kept making more, and over the, the practices, I just realized that it worked better if I started with melted butter, which meant that I could whisk it by hand. It's a one bowl cookie. You can scoop it and bake it right away. I figured out all of these things, so it's not just, to me, the best molasses spice cookie I've ever eaten. It's the easiest one I've ever made. Perfect. So it's got everything. So, so how many batches do you think you made? Did you keep track? I have no idea, because there was definitely a point where the recipe was fine, but I kept making it. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept making it. And even now, I'm like, I just kind of like, I want that smell. Yes. It smells instantly like the holidays. It really brought a lot of, like, joy at a time where, like, things may not have felt as traditionally special. It's sort of like, you know, so I almost recommend people make it in late November, you right. know, like, it, get, get that feeling of readiness. And just be immersed in that. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have, are there a lot of things percolating like that for you all the time about okay, this thing <laughs> and how it should be in the ideal world. Always, yeah. almost every second of the day. I'm like, <laughs> but also, and some of them, I, I mean, some of them I kick around for a decade before I figure out how it's going to make its way to earth, if that makes sense, uh -huh. and out of my brain. And some of it is some more clear vision from the beginning, and I know exactly what to do. But I have these ideas, and I always just jot them down. And then later I'm like, what do those words mean, Dad? That's not in English, you know, because I wasn't very clear in it. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that sounds horrible. And others I'm like, that, oh, that might be fun. I wonder if I could... Um, go back in time and figure out what I meant by that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I tend to have a lot of things, and I don't know. I mean, there are things that are in the third book that I might have wanted in the first book, but mm. it just wasn't, it didn't feel right yet. Is there one right now that you can think of that's kind of knocking at the door? I want to do something. I've always wanted to do something fun with caramel popcorn and a cake. I oh. haven't <laughs> figured out how it's going to come together where it's not going to be 92 steps or more Instagrammy than delicious, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. like where it looks cool. But I've had a vision sort of tormenting me for a while. And we were recently talking about 
I had this dish for caramelized uh, fennel in this book and it was really good. I had a little bit of fennel seeds. There was some, um, I either did it with ricotta or burrata and I just ended up feeling like it was too specific for something too divisive. So I kind of tabled it, but I think it might come back in another dish where I fold it into something bigger. We'll okay. see. Okay. So these things are out there. Yeah. Kind of. I'm going to try to pull them back and lasso them in and see if I can plant them in something else. And I, that was actually how the cover dish came to be. You know, the heydays of roasted garlic in the 1990s, we would always roast heads of garlic with a little drizzle of olive oil because it was a very fat phobic time. <laughs> We'd roast it till it was all sweet and creamy and you'd spread it on bread. And I hadn't made it in ages and a couple years ago this is probably pre-pandemic we were having friends over for new years and i was like what if instead of roasting it with a drizzle of olive oil i roasted in like butter or like a stick of butter just to see what would happen so i did it and i blended it together we had this like i probably don't need to tell you how good oh. <laughs> this garlic butter roasted garlic butter spread was but what am I going to do with this? And I kicked it around for three years, you know, really two, three years. I was like, what am I going to do with this thing? I'm going to have a roasted garlic. It's so specific. It's so much work for just to spread. I don't think it's useful. I'm like, how can I make it useful? And so I finally, one day I, I like had my aha moment many years later where I threw it in a blender with a bag of spinach mm -hmm. and a little bit of pasta water. And then it became the pasta sauce for the cover dish. And I was like, now I can have it every week. <laughs> now it's dinner. It's basically a salad. <laughs> when you're talking about that, it reminds me of the recipe in here for apple crisp. Oh you have taken apple crisp, which is one of my favorite things, to a whole new level. Believe it or not, I have never published a recipe for an apple crisp before. I've done some crumbles. I've done them things. There's like an apple bake in the last book. There's a breakfast apple crisp somewhere on the site with like granola on it. But I'd never done a classic apple crisp and I decided I didn't want to. I had this, I just really wanted to, well, okay. First we have some structural issues, which is that I think that apple crisps are always a little bit of a struggle because I think they often finish bake the topping browns before mm -hmm. the apples are done baking so the best way to do it is really to start by pre-cooking the apples a little bit so maybe 10 or 15 minutes on the stove of sauteing them you'll get them to the point where the baking of the bottom and the top evens out which so, was a revelation to me in itself but anyway. i you know i've also <laughs> learned that over you know and i've learned that by reaching into the oven a million times and trying to cover a scalding hot pan with a piece of highly conductive metal so it would stop burning in the oven which is you know not something that anyone looks forward to when they're cooking it's not an enjoyable stuff so I'm sauteing the apples in a little bit of brown sugar and I'm like you know a pat of butter so it doesn't stick I'm like you know this is kind of like making a butterscotch sauce what if we really truly made a butterscotch <laughs> sauce because I think a true homemade butterscotch sauce it's like there's nothing on earth like it same thing as toffee sauce so we start oh, by making this toffee like a real burnt brown sugar butter vanilla toffee sauce um, with some cream and we cook the apples in some of it and we leave the rest as the topping and the apple there's no um there's no cinnamon there's no thickener it's just apples that have been kind of rolling around drunk in butterscotch sauce <laughs> 
And then we've got a nice Odie pecan topping. And then at the very end, you can drizzle it with extra butterscotch sauce. And obviously you're gonna put ice cream on it. Like there's no choice. Look, I've got marks on that page from- I'm so glad. <laughs> Did your home, I, I have like the smell, was it just the best thing yes. you ever smelled? Yes. It's, I feel like I don't even know how to tell you. I mean, like I was talking about the molasses, forget it, apples yeah. cooking and butterscotch sauce, you are not ready. Yeah. <laughs> you just wanna live there. I want to live in that space. <laughs> and then the brown butter, brown butter and carrot cake. Oh, yes. I mean, I love brown butter. I think it's a wonderful way. I don't think it actually shows up in all the things we use it. So I always am trying to make sure I'm using it in a place where it shows up. And I really love it with carrots, both savory and sweet. And mm. I wanted to do a carrot cake that was all about the brown butter. And I wanted it to be a dessert carrot cake, like a pound cake. I wanted it to be just a ton of carrots and a real cake. I didn't want it to be a muffin. There's no bits of coconut or raisins or pineapple. There's no like cinnamon all, you know what I mean? I really just wanted a, a true carrot cake and I wanted it to be very aromatic with brown butter and I had fun with that. And did you did you make it? Because the no, frosting is no. dangerous. It, it looks really dangerous. The frosting is dangerous. The frosting is cream cheese, uh, brown butter, and a little bit of brown sugar and vanilla. And um, it honestly is like the best, is just the cream cheese frosting is the best dessert I've ever eaten. <laughs> it's a little dangerous. Are you ever stumped? Are oh, you, do, you, do you ever go, what am I going to do? Yeah, and I think it usually just means I need a break or the thing that I thought I wanted to cook, I really don't, and I haven't admitted it yet. Mm. You know? I mean, it just it just means that I was ready for a shift and I hadn't allowed it, you know? So it just meant that I had really decided, like, that this was the recipe I was going to do this week. This is the recipe. It's time to do this. And every day I'm like, I think I'm, yeah, I'll do it this afternoon. I think I'll do it this evening. It's like, you know what? You, 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 the moment has passed. <laughs> let it go. Come back to it later. And I do that a lot. And when I let that go, then a real creativity can come back. Huh. And are you usually doing kind of one a week? Is that... That's the goal. I wouldn't yeah. say that's what's been happening, but I like to do a recipe a week on the site. It actually works out yeah. to two recipes in three weeks, but I won't publish anything that I'm not like, you know, there's enough recipes on the internet. There's enough recipes on my site and in my book. So there is no reason to publish anything that doesn't feel like it's really going to add to the conversation or, you know, at, at, be a value add to a space. So if I feel like this recipe is good, but not otherworldly, I might not like crank up the a blog apparatus just to publish it. How involved are your kids these days? Oh, they're useless. I mean, they're really cute, uh, <laughs> but they, they don't like work or anything. They like to assist a little bit, but this is, this is a job and this is my job and I love my job, but I do not, they do, my kids do not come to work with me any more than they would be very useful if they were sitting in a cubicle with you in an office. Like it just, you'd have fun, they'd be cute, but you would not actually meet your job goals that day. So right. I'm not going to meet my recipe testing goals if I've got a kid on the counter as much as I like their company. Are they curious? They're curious, but I think they're less curious than people might think they are mostly because mm. Cooking is ever present and right. magically appears. Um, and I think that they think they just know how to cook because I'm always doing it in the next room, which I haven't had the heart to tell them doesn't mean that they actually know how to cook. <laughs> Being adjacent is not. Yeah. Yeah. I know my son's gotten into scrambling eggs, and I'm like, "Do you want me to show you?" He's like, "No, I've got this." I'm like, "But can I? Show, if you do, if you, if, okay." <laughs> take them off the stove they're done <laughs> so um I think they're just gonna have to figure it out I know but hopefully I can you know if they if they want if they want some tips I might have some places they can look I love in here where you talk about beans being a muse for you <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I love beans. I've always loved beans. I was a vegetarian for a long time and I, I've always loved beans. And I think that we get too stressed about using beans. And I think, and pretty much if you like a sauce, you can put beans in it. If mm-hmm. you like a pasta sauce, you can put, you can use beans instead and it kind of frees you up and it'll make it a little bit easier to cook with them. I love beans too. Yeah. too. So there's a few bean recipes in here and I actually, I I didn't think it was a really high number, but I'm delighted with the number of people are making them. And I think it helps that most of them, they're all just like one or two cans of beans. And so it's very easy. There's a skillet white beans that we kind of do these Caesary breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. and there's a chickpea masala with like a nice, like almost like a butter chickpea, but not exactly. It's a little more weeknight, you know, quicky, um, quick. And, um, there's a, I call it a simple weeknight black bean chili, but it is, but it does use both the oven and the stovetop, which is a little like, <gasps> I hope that's okay. <laughs> but the, the fact that you're charring those original ingredients, the flavor must be just that much more. That was really my aha, aha moment. I actually was doing this with a chicken chili many, many years ago for my dad. Um, but I, you know, a lot of times when I'm making like a salsa, I might start by charring or grilling, you know, like tomatillo or the tomatoes and the garlic and the onion. You start with this char and then you blend it. And I'm like, why am I not making my chili this way? Like maybe this is a way to take the same ingredients we would be putting in chili and give, make it so much more dynamic. So when we add two cans of black beans, we actually end up with something with a lot more flavor than just like adding tomato sauce to black beans with some spices. And right. so, although we do have to start by charring it and blending it and then putting it, once it's in the pot with the beans, it goes really quick. Yeah, and it's charring what, the onions? I'm trying to remember now. I, like some, you know, I use some poblano. You can use whatever chili peppers you want. There's some garlic. It's really, mm. it's fun. And I think it gives it a, a base that tastes a lot more. It doesn't just taste like a black bean soup with spices. Right. You must get, I mean, you do get so many emails. You talk about this and you talk about this, the back and forth with uh-huh. those of us who are cooking uh-huh. with you in that sense. What's it like for you to, to keep up with that volume of correspondence? I don't actually keep up, but I do try. I want to hear what people have to say about the cooking. I need to hear how it went. Like, tell me how it went. Oh, did it go? Did it stick? Okay. You, because Sarah over here had trouble with it sticking. I'm so glad it didn't. Okay. Oh, it was perfect. You thought the season. I, lo- I want to hear it all. This is my feedback. So I want to hear it. And I just love to also see where the recipes end up. I mean, someone's like, I made your cake today. I'm like, oh, great. How did it go? And they're like, it's on their veranda mm. in Lake Tahoe. You're like, oh, how nice. My cake is having such a good life. I'm so happy for her. Um, it's really cute to see all the places the recipes are going. It must be such a source of maybe pride is, is a word. What Smitten Kitchen has become. What a byword this has become for for people cooking. I find it actually terrifying. I'm sorry. I should be like more proud, but I'm like, no, it's just, I'm still like, I just can't wrap my head around it from the outside. I'm really flattered and delighted and I hope I can keep it up. It's more to me like, okay, I hope I can keep this up. (laughs) Um, But I'm, I'm thrilled because it's definitely the best case scenario outcome of what I started doing, but it wasn't at all what I ever thought would happen. So it means a lot, but I'm also like, oh my God, is this real? Is this happening? Are you sure this is real? (laughs) They're not paid actors still this is the feeling I sometimes feels like it because it's so separate from my regular life like I do not walk down the street in New York City (laughs) yeah nobody claps when I walk into the living room at home like what is (laughs) up with that so yeah no it's nothing like my regular life when I'm out on book tours probably for the best I think it would be weird if this was like your regular life yeah Yeah. people hanging on my every word like I would be like I must be amazing you'd be insufferable right I would be the worst I would absolutely hate to listen to myself (laughs) 
Do you have some things in mind now that, I mean, I know you've been out a long time on this tour. When you get home, are there things that you want to get to in the kitchen right away? I have a lot of things where I just kind of feel like doing a bunch of things that I never had time to do. Like I just woke up one day in Portland and decided it was time to buy a tortilla press. <laughs> I really wanted one a couple of years ago and I talked myself out of it because I was like, how often do you make tortillas? And I'm like, you know, I want a tortilla press. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm just going to be, I might, I hope I use it more than five times. I, uh, I, I want to make flour tortillas on a Saturday morning and put eggs in them. I think that sounds really enjoyable with my little charred salsa. I want to make kimchi. I watched a bunch of kimchi. I think I'm on kimchi talk now. Um, I watched one and then I got a bunch of others. I'm like, I think I can do this. I want to do this. And also um, the Russian side of my family, they love pickled things and they love kimchi. So I feel like this will not go to waste. I feel like they're going to go through it in three days and then I have to make it again. So I have a couple more just like things I always tell myself I don't have time to because I'm not necessarily going to publish this recipe and it's not for a book and it's not for the site. I hope I give myself a little time to play around. Deb, thank you for your time. It's lovely to have a chance to see you again. (laughs) Thank you, Brad. It's so nice to see you again after all these years. And thank you for all the wonderful ideas and recipes and inspirations. Thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying them. And that's my conversation with Deb Perlman. We've been talking about her latest cookbook, Smitten Kitchen Keepers. And you can follow her on Instagram for recipes every week, new ones every week, and links to all kinds of old archived recipes of hers as well. All of them keepers, I would say. And you can find links to a couple of the recipes, especially that molasses cookie recipe we were talking about, the one she made repeatedly through the pandemic and then started throwing bags of them out off the balcony to her friends. That's linked on the website at CherylMcKay.com. Well, thanks so much for downloading the podcast. I'll be back with you next week. Bye for now.